Hey y'all, this is your girl Amber with Reaching Your Potential. We are continuing our Black History series and I know we had a lot of female OTs coming into the episode, but this time we have a Black male OT in the building, all right? So this is gonna be really great to get a new perspective and we don't have a lot of Black OTs in the field and just adding Black males, forget about it. It's like little to none. So we're going to have a, a good discussion. So let's get started. All right, so one of my new OT friends here. His name is Ted, and he's going to introduce himself, kind of tell us a little bit about himself and all that great jazz because he has a great story. And he also does some other things on the side of being in OT school too. So I'm not gonna spoil anything. He's gonna talk all about it. So say hey to the people, Ted. All right, what's up y'all? My name is Ted. Um, uh, Instagram, well, I'll get into that later, but I'm from Memphis, <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, I uh, currently go to the University of Tennessee Health Science Center here in Memphis, I'm a second year occupational therapy student, so I'm still learning a lot, which is great, um, and just still trying to grow in the role of the OT thing, and, you know, getting into the gist of things, so that's just a little bit of background about me. Awesome. So since you're still into OT school and everything, do you have your little OT phrase or when somebody asks you what OT is, what would you tell them? Now, it depends on who the person <laughs> is because <laughs> some people just, I like to just explain what occupations are first and then they normally kind of get the gist of it because everybody knows people just think occupations are just working. But I just tell yes. people it's anything that they do, literally anything. Um, and I like to explain it as if, like, say if you get in a wreck and you break some bones, because that's what people always, oh, how would you help me then? And I'm like, well, uh, how are you going to walk? Or how are you going to get back to playing with your kids or doing things that you love? But um, I think that one video that you watched, to explain kind of what OT is kind of helps them because they can break down what an occupation is and understand that remove the word from it and it's literally just activities and what barriers you have to those activities whether that's mentally physically emotionally um and you know that's kind of how I explain it depending on the person though <laughs> no that's a great way to put it it's just if you break it down that way, it's just things that we do on a daily basis, things that are meaningful for you. And sometimes I just say the things that you need to do, you should be doing and the things you want to do. And that's like so many things. And I love how OT is so broad versus mm -hmm. other professions where they're kind of, I don't want to say in a box, but our options as OTs are endless. I, I agree with that. And the first time my teacher was like, well, my professor, she was like, yeah, there's OTs that work in the prison system. And I'm like, how? And then when you right. think about it, you know, if someone gets sent to prison, 
and they have to focus on community reentry, if they're not getting that support, that's really the main reason why they're going back. And once you really think about it and evaluate it, that kind of does make sense that OTs really can help you with anything, especially if they're specialized in a specific area. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. I know I was listening to a podcaster. He had some experience working in a prison system. And I was like, I need to have him on this podcast as well because I need to get a nice insight on that. I think that's so cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So let's start off to get to know a little bit about you, Ted. Can you tell me, well, you told me what school you go to and where you're from, but how do you learn about OT? So this is a very interesting story. In college, um, I originally wanted to be a dentist, but I think that's what my mom that's what my mom mainly wanted me to be. So I was like, Yeah, they make three hundred K. Why not be a dentist? And I took biology. I was just like, I this this ain't not it. working. Nah, this ain't it. So I dropped out of band and after I dropped out of band and switched majors over to exercise science, I had been training for maybe like a year or two and I changed my major when I was a junior <laughs> so <Ooh. laughs> yeah I had two years of um, summer school and I had to graduate maybe like a semester later but I didn't really care as long as my grades were improving so once I switched over to exercise science I actually wanted to be a physical therapist because that's what everyone else in the gym wants to be when you're an exercise science right. major once I looked up schools, I started seeing OT and I never knew what it was. So once I started learning more about it and having my genetic condition and realizing that I didn't have OT, the more I learned about it, the more I realized that it could have benefited me. And by me being having something that could have benefited from it, I figured what better person to be an OT than someone who actually relates and can understand the mental barriers and the physical barriers of, you know, why it's useful. So that's why I kind of switched over to OT. And the more I observed with people and met new people, I've learned that it's helpful and it is useful. People just need to know what OT is. And it's kind of why I started making the content and stuff too. So Awesome. And you talked just a snippet about you're having a genetic condition. Yeah, it's called bilateral thumb hypoplasia. Okay. And basically, from my understanding, this mm-hmm. is, is there's not as much extension of the wrist. And since the thumb, since it didn't grow down into the thenar eminence, it's, mm-hmm. I have to use my index finger and my middle finger to like pick things up and still have problems with things like opening certain things, particularly like uh, shredded cheese bags. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't give you much to pull on. Like, yeah, that's true. Like, like you have to kind of go this way. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that's pretty much the only thing I can complain about, other than not being able to bench as much as I want, because I know the strength mm. is there, but yeah, I'm I'm trying to work with some different adaptive like training facilities that I found on Instagram to see if there's someone who makes adaptive equipment. But it's mainly for people who are amputees on one side and things like that. Right. Not that many people have this condition. So. And when you say mm-hmm. bench as much as you want to, I'm very curious as to how much you can actually bench. 
the most the most I bench is two forty five. That was wow. It was it was it was difficult, but I can tell that it really wasn't like it. It was more of a limitation thing of the wrist and right, pain. right. Because I know there's some impingement right here because there's not as much extension and it it gets really right. tight here. Mm-hmm. After a really heavy bench day of doing maybe like three by five or five by five at two twenty five, uh, later on in the day or the next day you know, up in my forearms and up yeah. here, it starts to get really tight and I have to roll it out a lot. So um, if I can find someone who can make it easier to bench to where I don't have to extend and I can keep my wrist fixed and I don't have to grasp mm-hmm. the bar as hard, then I know the right. strength is there. It's just, oh, for I don't sure. want to break my wrist trying to... Wrist, right. <laughs> you don't want to do all that now. That's so cool. You have the OT thing going on. Now you got you have fitness as well. Well, you got into fitness prior to going into OT, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. How do you get into fitness? So it started in 2000 and I think fall of 2013 or spring of 2014. Coming into college my first year, I was in the dorms a lot and I didn't really go out. But then the second year, and that, and that mainly had a lot to do with um, insecurities as a child and having the condition. Because um, I used to hide it a lot and not want people to see it. So I, I, there was like a huge barrier of social participation and getting to know people because people always wanted to talk about it. And yeah. being in the crowd that I was in, I'm from Memphis, so it's not uncommon for people <laughs> to want to check, but they don't understand that you know, words can affect people a certain ways. So second year, I met a friend um, and I really didn't like him at first, but. <laughs> it um, always be like that sometimes. It was. It, I mean, we, we actually got into like a fight freshman year. And then from then on, we were in competition with each other. And I was like, man, I'm better than you at that. And we just kept going back and forth. But he was a football player. So we started going to the gym and training together. He was much stronger than me. And we just kind of realized that he was probably the best training partner that I've ever had. And we trained for four years after that, not after college, but from 2013 until 2017 when we graduated. And he became my best friend. We trained every day. We ate together every day. And I never thought that a guy that I got in a fight with for freshman year was going (laughs) to be my best friend. But he was the only one that I trusted me, trusted to spot me on bent, all that. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. I love that. And I love fitness too. I did track for over 10 years and I started lifting during sophomore year of high school. My assistant coach, he only took about like five girls that he knew were really serious about track. And he was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you guys how to lift. And he went from teaching us how to do power cleans to back squatting correctly, benching, all that stuff. It changed my life. Like when I got into college and we had to do all the different lifting and stuff, the strength and conditioning coach told us to get into groups and stuff. So I was lifting with the upperclassmen as a freshman. And the strength and conditioning coach asked me, she's like, wait, what year are you? I was like, a freshman. And she's like, what? <laughs> like, you're lifting with them? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like, this isn't hard. Like, I, I lifted in high school, and she was just so amazed that I was already at that level 
in such short, well, not short time, but I was exposed to it at an early, at an early age, if you say that. So I get it. Lifting is life. It's a lifestyle. It's just so much fun. I don't know. That's a, that's actually a best thing because I, I see so many uh, coaches and they, they claim to be strength and conditioning coaches and they probably do have the credentials. But I can just mm-hmm. tell that there's no theory or n- anything behind. Like, I'll, I'll watch dudes training, and I'm like, why Why are you doing that? He was like, man, my coach told me to do it. And I'm like, man, on your offseason, you need, you, need, you need another coach. Cause this isn't <laughs> it. <laughs> he, he's going to have you getting hurt early in your career. Hey, no power to you. Yeah, and I think the beauty of training and lifting is that you're so you're such an analyst. You're always analyzing what you're doing, but also analyzing what other people are doing. I swear, when I'm at the gym, I'm always looking at people's form. I'm always like, oh, my gosh, like, their knees are going in. Or why are they not going deep enough in that squat? Maybe they don't have the strength to do that yet, and they want to pile up all the weights mm-hmm. and take all the weights, and their form is crap, you know? So mm-hmm. I feel that it's amazing to meet other OTs that are interested in the fitness field as well. It, it Gives us a, even a bigger picture for sure. And that's why I tell everybody that I, I really had the one up in anatomy back in way when I, I had the <laughs> one up because I I knew my body. A lot of people who ask me about getting into powerlifting because I, I like doing powerlifting programs and I like doing bodybuilding programs, but I kind of mm-hmm. cycle back and forth depending on what time of the year and how I'm feeling. But Anybody who tells right. me, man, I want to get into powerlifting and or bodybuilding, and then I go in there and I see they have all this weight on there. I tell them, if you really want to get into powerlifting, try a, a hypertrophy slash bodybuilding yeah. style training first, because doing between 12 to 15 reps, you can still grow muscle, but at the same time, you have to know your body and know your leverages. Not everyone needs to do sumo or not everyone needs to do conventional. Not everyone needs to do low bar squats. Not everyone needs to do high bar squats. I say once you really know your body, your leverages, and how to actually feel that muscle contracting through a hypertrophy style training, I guarantee you any amount of weight that you want to lift within reason. (laughs) <laughs> you will be able to do it because you will know your body and you will know how to recruit all of the muscles needed and not blow your back out before you pull 495 or whatever you want to pull. So Right. See, and the people need to be honest about that too or have somebody in, I don't even know, like somebody in their circle to tell them this because they don't, if they don't have that resource, they're going to do that. They're going to break their back. They're going to do more injury, more harm than good. And if they don't know what they're doing at all, it's just a mess. It's it, a is. Mess. it is. No, I was just going to say, it's just the knowledge of knowing what is the end goal. If the end goal is to be strong, then, yeah, you're going to progressively add on weight. But, you know, you, you see guys who say, oh, I want to cut down, but then have all of this weight on there. It, it's just the knowledge of knowing, like, if this is my end goal, how do I get there? And not worrying about what everyone else is doing because that. That might not be their end goal. So you can't expect your training to look like theirs, even though theirs may look cool. Yes, exactly. Like I have so many girls that come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, like I want to, I want to get thick, but I want to lose my stomach. And I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like to be a plan as to how to get there, but also like what I do 
would look totally different versus someone else. Like for mm-hmm. me, I gain weight easily. So the way I eat is not going to be the same as my friend who is working on gaining weight because she loses weight easily. So like, as you said, everybody's body's different. Everybody is unique and everybody's plan is not going to be the same. So I am so glad that you brought that up because that kind of like leads towards like OT in a way, you know, like everybody is unique. Everybody has a different plan and of course, everybody's goal is to be as independent as possible, but how can we get them there? Yep, it has to be meaningful and, and something that that they want to do. And honestly, I honestly believe everybody understands what OT is. They just don't understand the words OT. That everybody yes. knows what what ex, what the actual you know practice of OT is. They know, they just can't link that. To the words and still to this day breaking up different types of occupation and splitting them up in my head sometimes it takes mm-hmm. me a second to really sit there to understand like sensory processing disorders like I have to really sit there and think and I'm like dang if I have to think this hard about it the general public is just <laughs> oh yeah just like what is this <laughs> exactly like you're in um, like you're in school for this so you imagine when you have to explain to someone that has no idea what occupational therapy is just tell it's them wild. on a need to know basis you know you can go in I, I for me personally i'll probably go in in depth with it a little, little bit but mm-hmm. it's just you know there's no need to go i feel like to not go all the way deep down in the depths because yeah then first of all they just might not want to do it because they're gonna be like <laughs> man I don't, how is this gonna help me so you know yeah i agree so with your ot program how's that going do you have any favorite classes that you're taking right now or not so favorite classes? <laughs> my most challenging class is definitely evidence-based practice time that's probably uh, yeah. <laughs> one of the most hardest classes I've ever been through because it requires you to not only understand things about OT, but I can definitely understand that my professor is a researcher. You can have research, you can pick from accounting, from engineering, from all these different fields, remove the specialty like OT away from it, all the researchers are going to know the same thing. But us going into it, I knew that I was going to have to do research. But since I'm not a researcher and I haven't done much research in the past, it's just grasping all that at once is a little difficult. But, you Mm -hmm. know, it's necessary. My favorite class so far, my all-time favorite class has hands down been anatomy. Hands down. And that's because I've been training for so long and I know that mm-hmm. these muscles are there. But for me to see a dead body and be able to pick apart the muscles, everybody else mm-hmm. is like, eh, I don't want to do touch that. <laughs> I'm like, move out of the way. Let me do this it. <laughs> is, I've been waiting for this my whole life. Just, you know, if you're in the bodybuilding, you cut fat because you want to see the muscles. You, right. you, I knew where all these muscles were. Now, getting deeper, of course, I had to learn like the really deep intrinsic muscles because, you know, most bodybuilders don't focus on 
that unless it's a quadratum <laughs> quadratus laborum to stabilize right. the core. But I loved anatomy. It was probably my favorite class, and that's just because just seeing the muscles, the hands-on learning, being a PT tech in the past, and hearing my uh, physical therapist say I'm dry needling this muscle. And I know it's under there, but I, I haven't seen it. I don't know where it attaches and all this stuff. Actually yeah. seeing it and connecting those dots like, oh, this is the muscle that she was dry needling and this is why. That's definitely my mm -hmm. favorite test was, was anatomy. So That's so funny you say that because a lot of people hate anatomy. They're like, this is too much. I can't memorize all of these things. But because of your background and your experience, it makes more sense and you can apply anatomy the physiology of it into your life and I think that's amazing I loved anatomy too when I took it and I think it was because I did track I was able to mm -hmm. apply everything that I was doing in the track world with anatomy and even when I had like a few injuries here and there like one time it was it was so weird like I strained the um one of my adductor muscles and mm -hmm. I knew exactly where it was I was like so I had to go to the athletic training room and tell them what happened. I'm like, I know I pulled one of my adductors. I'm like, I'm not sure which one. And they were able to tell me. And I was like, yep, see, I knew I was right. And then another <laughs> time I, I pulled one of my gluteal muscles and it was so painful. And I said, I know it's one of the, it's like one of the insert, it's like one of the ones inside, like either my piriformis or something. I was almost close. It was another one, but it was still an, inside it wasn't the gluteus max or the medius it was like one of mm -hmm. those internal gluteal muscles so it's just really nice to know that because of our lifestyles and our experiences we're able to apply all these anatomy um terms and knowledge not just for ot just in life in general yeah that's that's a good point and that just further affirms that everyone who's looking at going into ot and not thinking that their kinesiology major is going to be enough that's more than enough like yeah kinesiology exercise science just from working at a powerlifting gym a few years ago training around people who were so strong and people will look at them and be like man they're meatheads and i'll be like no they're scientists and yeah. going into ot school the professor telling me that hey if your hip flexors are tight that's a cause of low back pain. I'm like, a powerlifter told me that. They told me all of this stuff. They told me to do the, the kneeling hip stretch to keep my hips open mm -hmm. and all of this stuff. I said, man, I learned all this from a powerlifter that people are laughing at and telling him that, oh, you're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt your back. You, you're not going to be strong for long. Man, these people are in their 50s doing competitions, strong man on bill. So, wow. you know, you can learn a lot from, um, you know, powerlifters, bodybuilders. You, you can learn a lot from them. That's all I want to say. No, you can, especially if they're successful in what they do. Like you see them training and they have the knowledge to spread to others. As you said, they're scientists, even though that perspective of like powerlifters are quote unquote meatheads, mm -hmm. they're scientists. Like they know the science of movement and what to do in order to be successful in that field. So I think that's so important to, to keep that in mind. Like, yeah, they may be hitting the gym every single day, but they're making gains. They're successful at what they do. 
and they're preventing injury. And that's all we really want to see. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everything we want to see. So um, let's turn a little bit towards OT a little bit more. And can you tell me how your experience is right now in your OT program and your OT cohort? And specifically as a black male. Okay. So <laughs> I am a triple minority because I'm a black male and I have a genetic condition. And from the beginning, I knew that it was a huge accomplishment. So I really was thankful for that. Going into a program that was primarily Caucasian females, and there's a few Caucasian males as well. Mm -hmm. Just being in the room and getting used to people, it took, you know, a little time, but I never felt like I didn't deserve to be there. I knew I deserved to be there, but I'm already okay. an introvert anyways, even around a diverse room. I sat in, I always sit in the front of the class ever since I changed my major, just so I can learn more. So <laughs> not everyone likes to sit in the front of the class. So I just felt isolated sometimes. But one day I just mm -hmm. woke up and said, I have to do this for two and a half years and I'm not going to let my personal biases and what I think other people's biases may be keep me from learning from them, providing value to them, mm -hmm. and meeting new friends. So I pretty much just stepped out of my comfort zone and I would just randomly, you know, take the time to talk to somebody before class. And you're with the same 40 people through anatomy, <laughs> studying and all yep. that stuff. So I promise you after the first three weeks, it, it, it was nothing. It's, it's nothing. I could probably say whatever and I just don't care. No chill at all. They're <laughs> just, just my classmates and, you know, the class meshes well, pretty good from, to my knowledge. And uh, any discrepancies or, you know, since it's so small, people may form cliques and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not as involved. I'm not a huge extrovert. They'll say, hey, did you hear so-and-so said this? I think this is going on. I'm never in the loop about anything. So I'm everyone's <laughs> friend. So. <laughs> I was like, hey. Right, you're not in any clique. <laughs> yeah. I say, hey, I, I don't know. Maybe you should go ask them. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, I mean, that works out well. There's two uh, Black females in the group as well. I'm really cool with them. So um, I did wanted to say, you know, being a triple minority, after coming out with that YouTube video about my condition, mm -hmm. I see a huge shift in the way I think about things because mm -hmm. I realize that when you're trying to hide something that there's no need to hide and you just publicly come out about it, anything that you thought that people were going to say about you or, you know, whatever the case may be, you're not afraid of what they may say or do anymore because you've already come out about it. Being teased about it and bullied and stuff in grade school really was the source of that. But when I started training in college and my whole mind shift changed, like I, I got really muscular, bigger than I am now. I was bigger than I am now in, in college. That boosted my mm -hmm. confidence way up. So I just realized that I needed to make that video because my mind was already there. I already had the confidence to overcome yeah. what I dealt with as a child. 
But once I came out with the video, it's like whatever that was left in that tank of insecurities left the building. And from there, I, I've just been able to be more of an extrovert. I'm, I'm not really an extrovert, but be more of an extrovert <laughs> now. And but, I feel like that that's really going to help me with network with other OTs, meeting new people, and actually realizing that I've inspired a lot of people, even with that one video. So it's it's enough to be just a black male in the field because that's a big feat. But releasing that barrier of insecurity from something I can't control, which is my genetic condition. Mm -hmm. I feel like I, I'll be more of a use to the OT field and the clients that will help in the future. So, No, I think that's amazing because you being your authentic self and not being afraid to share those things is important. And I kind of like also that our heads are always spinning. We're always overthinking. I'm the same way. I'm I'm an introvert too. So People think I'm an extrovert, but I can literally <laughs> be in my room chilling by myself and be totally fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, like we're always constantly overthinking and saying like, if I say this one thing, people are going to judge me. People are going to think less of me or, or something in that nature. And then once we actually get the guts and kind of say like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to say it because I believe it's going to encourage someone or inspire someone. And the feedback literally speaks for itself. I think mm -hmm. that's fantastic. Um, for me, I don't, I don't have a, um, a physical condition or, or a genetic condition, but um, my journey alone becoming an OT was a struggle. You know, um, I had to take my board exam four times before I passed. And it was a story that I wasn't comfortable in telling people in the beginning, of course, especially like during the process and being close each time, it was stressful, <laughs> you know, like we need, you know, we need a 450 and I was like at 421, 434, 429. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Like, it was so annoying. And it was, it was to the point where I realized that whenever I pass this exam, because I know I have, I can pass it. I said, I have to tell my story to someone because I know I'm not the only one that has gone through this. And it's hard to find people who are comfortable and speaking on their failures or speaking on their flaws because people want to just see the, the outcome. You know, you're successful in what you do, but we all have things that we're trying to work on and be the best people that we can be. Yeah, and the I like to think of it as an underdog story. Our mm. underdog stories, they just mean more because, you know, you, you went through a lot to get to it. And it's just the thought of the, the grit and grind, basically what Memphis represents. Grit and <laughs> grind is just, mm -hmm. it's not always going to be easy. And some of the people that I mentor in the TED Talks for OT series, they'll say, well, hey, my, I don't think that I can get a GRE high enough or I don't think my grades are good enough. And there's all these, you know, reasons why they think that they can't get in. And I always tell them, man, make a way. It, it sounds simplistic, but yeah. make a way. If you have to 
send them an email and say, what can I do to make my application better? Do it. If you have to take the GRE and you have to retake three classes that you took in undergrad when you didn't really know what you wanted to do, retake those three classes at a community college, do the very best you can. And for the rest of your prereq, do the very best you can and find a clinic. I don't care if it's PT, behavioral, uh, it doesn't matter. Do something there and commit to it. If you don't get in the first year, ask them, what can I do to make my application better? If when, when they give you the feedback, if you pay attention to that feedback and do what it says on that list, I guarantee you, they will accept you because there's someone who's going to apply with a 4.0 with the Mm -hmm. minimum amount of observation hours and nothing else on their record. And they're going to pick you. They are going to pick you because they they know the first year that you weren't the best candidate. But the second year you came around, you, you redid some things, you did as many observation hours, you know the ins and outs of some type of therapy. It may not be OT, right. but I was a PT tech and I, I, I knew a lot about being a PT tech and I could see how that transitioned over from not just being the biomechanical frame of reference, but now I can add the mental side of things. So they didn't have to teach me the biomechanical side of things because I kind of already knew some of it, but I can still right. you know, add a little bit on, but you get what I'm saying. So accept yeah. your underdog story and if you really, 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 really want it, you're you're going to get in. But if you plant these seeds of doubt in your mind, like, hey, well, I might not be able to do this because, man, just just say you don't want to do it. <laughs> just, just <laughs> like, do you, you really want to do it? <laughs> yeah, because if you really wanted to do it, man, you're you're going to make a way. Yeah, you're gonna make a way. I love that. Accept your underdog story. That is like something I need to write because <laughs> that is, no, that's some good stuff right there. Accept the underdog story. Everybody's path is not going to be straight and narrow. You know, like we may have to take different routes to get to our end goal, but it's just that perseverance is so important. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just want to talk a little bit about, we talked about OT. We talked a little bit about fitness as well. And you also have a business in creating, um, it's called Occupational Justice. I see you have mm-hmm. your hoodie on. Oh, yeah. You have to be nice. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, where where do you get that idea? So the idea, if I'm being completely honest, was somewhat random, but not really. So in our foundation course, where we're just learning about OT and what OT is. We take that course with anatomy like back in January of last year. And we learned about occupational justice. So innately, most people, when they think justice, they think of police brutality, systematic uh, targeting of black men in prisons. They, They might think of those things when they think of justice or, you know, just policing in general. But after learning more about the term, I realized that it was much bigger than that. I wanted to kind of remove that thought of just attaching occupational justice 
just to police brutality and those things because that's that's not all it is right maybe like a part of it but it's a very small part so after thinking more about it my professor was talking about I can't remember the guy's name but the guy who was instrumental in the curb cutout I really thought about it like curb cutouts are a big thing and every day we step over the curb and we take that for granted or you think about access into a building that may have steps up to the building and now they're requiring ramps but in a lot of old buildings there's still some things that aren't accessible to people yeah that's so true I took it a step further from that you think about the opportunity that some people may have to healthcare. I just kind of wanted to put it on a shirt for one so I can advocate and wear it in my videos especially for the TED Talks for OT series because I wanted more people to just look it up if I can just inspire them to google it and learn more about it I figured that that was the first step and then once I started wearing it I said that people would probably wear this so I just started selling it and now I have people as walking billboards to wear (laughs) these occupational justice so I'm actually working on a website and I'm I'm gonna send it to you before anyone else gets it I'm gonna send it to you so you can give me feedback on how it looks and I put like a definition of what occupational justice is as it relates to you know OTPF and things like that to make it mm-hmm. still still associated with occupational therapy I don't want it to lose its meaning of from occupational therapy but I just yeah. want more of the general public to kind of know what it is and that way it's not so hard for policies laws and you know everything above to be affected because more people can kind of get an understanding of how important these things are so I started doing like one of one shirts like there's this purple hoodie right here that I've made oh that one is something I might have to get I like the purple one (laughs) hey I got you and then this was like a valentine's day thing I came up with it says just love on it but the reason I started doing the Just Love shirts was because I wanted something that could be for Valentine's, but I also wanted it to have a meaning to it. And at first mm-hmm. I was going to put occupational Just Love, but I thought that that was too long. So I just shortened it to mm-hmm. Just Love because if everyone could just love and realize that not everyone is going to agree with each other, but you still have to respect what level that other people are on and just have love in your heart and I feel like that could remove a lot of barriers for other people disagree to disagree and yeah go your own separate ways not everyone is going to be here in the middle you have to understand that your perception of good and bad or right and wrong is not the same as everyone else's so once everyone can understand that I feel like we can move forward with a lot of things that have to deal with injustices. And um, yeah, that's kind of where the idea came from. Oh, I love it. I really do. People really don't talk about occupational justice as much, or as you said, they have this one narrow idea of what it is. 
Um, mm-hmm. When I first heard of it, I thought instantly about, you know, police brutality and injustice and, you know, different racial groups or ethnic groups or whatnot. But it's so much more. How can we plug in OT in that? And it's basically the inability to like have access and engaging or participating in the things that we really want to do. And whether it's just having access into a building to be able to get the right foods to eat and be healthy, you know, those are, I just think of that as occupational justice or injustice. If somebody lives in a neighborhood where they don't have access to healthy foods because most of the food chains are fast food restaurants or um, delis that don't really serve the healthiest snacks, that's occupational injustice. Like how how are you mm-hmm. supposed to meet that goal of, oh, well, you need to eat healthy. Well, how am I supposed to get food if there's no market near me? You know, <laughs> it, it's exactly. like, it's, you have to think about all these different things. And I love how just one shirt can be a walking billboard for that. So I'm, I'm already going to buy a shirt. I'm going to buy a shirt and a hoodie and I'm going to wear it during my sessions with my patients because they're always asking me so many questions about like <laughs> my hair and my life. So if I wear the shirt, they'll probably ask me, what is that? So I'm like, you know what? Let me educate you on this for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something worthwhile. Exactly. <laughs> they will definitely listen though. They're they're pretty cool. I work with older adults, so you know, they they always want to spit some wisdom and have a discussion. So if it's something meaningful and something very important, such as occupational justice, we're definitely going to talk about it while we do some exercises. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, I think, I think, like you said, it's a great thing to learn because there's a lot of things that I just, I just didn't consider it out of my own ignorance. There's plenty of times where, and this is why I love being at OT school, where I've parked next to a handicapped spot not mm. in the handicapped spot but next to it and i didn't right. realize how instrumental those lines were right next to the handicapped spot so right there might be sometimes where i don't park in that zone but i might have part of my tire in it but now i'm like nope oh, make sure i'm not gonna do it <laughs> someone might have to get out of, get out of their accessible van from the wheelchair or I was watching another video up north. I, I'm not from the north, so I wouldn't know, but people, you, you have to shovel your part of the sidewalk. And I yes. watched a video where a guy was in his wheelchair and he was going down the sidewalk and he couldn't continue to go down the sidewalk because someone didn't shovel you know, their sidewalk. And if people can just see that video, that's occupational justice. That's yeah. all it that's all that it is. It's it's just access and people having the ability to do the things that they have to do. You don't think about it because you can walk through the snow or you can step over the snow. But now that I've been in OT school and I've learned a little bit more about occupational justice, now I can be more considerate and yes. really, really think, well, why why is this here like this? This is probably you know, these lines are probably here for a reason, or mm-hmm. this is probably a handicap spot for a reason. Don't park in a handicap. It's, it's there for a reason. So 
Right. Your story where you just talked about the man with the in the wheelchair, it made me go back to when I was in OT school. We had to do a project where we had to be in a wheelchair for how long? It was either the week or like 48 hours, something like that. So we had to spend our whole day in a wheelchair. And I kid you not, it was the worst experience ever. <laughs> it was so <laughs> difficult because first of all, my campus was is not accessible at all. There's so many hills. You have to figure out the best way to get around campus. It was it was hard. And when it snowed, forget it. The tires are awful. I could barely move the wheelchair. My arms hurt. I had this big book bag. I'm like. I'm supposed to park. I'm like, where am I supposed to park? You know, there's only like two handicapped spots. It was it was a mess. And we had to do a reflection on that and really um, write down like how we felt, um, where were the barriers that we were facing and what did we learn from that experience? And I'm just like, wow, like this is deep, <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know how I would survive. I mean, of course, like there's people that, are already accustomed to that lifestyle, but being in their shoes and just for a few hours, it really opens your eye. And as you said, you're more aware to the fact that like, okay, these are things that we take for granted every day. And just spending just a couple of hours trying to continue that lifestyle that you, you once had, now using a wheelchair, it's different. <laughs> exactly. That sounds like a good project for a lot of people to do because there's, <laughs> there's some of the things that you see that people just, you know, even at the store, you see kids playing on the uh, the little carts and things like that. Yeah. Like, man, someone someone needs that. But I mean, I don't I don't blame them because you know I was ignorant at one point and I didn't really yeah. think about that. Same. But, you know, the more you educate people and they ask me what this is, I can explain them what I explain to them what occupational justice is. And my cousin actually asked me earlier, he said, so what would make me as a person who doesn't need OT or I'm not related to OT at all, you know, want to wear an occupational justice shirt? I said, first of all, you have everything to do with OT because right. everything you do is OT. Is OT. <laughs> I told him every time you call me and you complain about, you know, something that you hate and now you don't want to go to work and you feel down and out. I said, those talks that I give you, I said, that's OT. And you went to work that day. And then I took it a step further. I said, man, well, occupational justice, just the knowledge of knowing what it is can make you a better person, you will be more considerate, and you can teach the next person, and you know, the world will be a better place. Yeah, yeah. it's like a snowball effect. You teach one person, and hopefully they teach another person, and they teach other people, and it just spreads like wildfire. <laughs> exactly. That is the goal. I love it. That's amazing. So I'm definitely going to support you in that i hope people that are listening to this podcast do the same as well at the end of the episode he's going to drop all his information so 
you guys better be listening. <laughs> so um, the last thing I'm going to ask you about is your YouTube channel, because I've watched a few of your episodes and they're awesome, first of all. Um, but I want to kind of ask you what gave you the idea to start that YouTube channel. In my program, we have something called Professional Development Hours. We have Leadership and Advocacy, the Community Service. And we had to start a blog way back when we first started. And I just randomly came up with the name of my blog being TED Talks for OT. And that kind of rolled over into my YouTube because mm-hmm. I, I knew that I didn't like being in front of a camera and talking to people. But when I thought about it, whenever you become an OT, you're a practitioner you come up with a theory you have to explain that theory to your patients in a way that they understand and me personally I don't want anyone trying to explain something to me they seem timid scared like they're scared to talk to people yeah I've never really been scared (laughs) to talk to people but explaining things that I think that they don't won't understand in a way that's too difficult for them to understand that that's what kind of shies me away from going too deep but yeah I realized that if I can teach someone else what it is that I'm learning and I can teach them in a way that they understand it and can recall it correctly then you know I'm learning it correctly so I just started doing the YouTube as a way for me to you know learn more it forces me to put accurate content out and to actually learn Mm -hmm. the things that I'm going over. And for the TED Talk for OT, it attracts more people in to be mentored, which I do for free. I'll hop on a Zoom call, give them all the information that they need or answer any questions. And I'll use those hours of me being on Zoom call or explaining things as my, I think, I can't remember which one, probably advocacy. Yeah, probably advocacy and leadership because I'm teaching people more about what OT is, what they need to get into OT school and clarifying a lot of things to them. So it was a way for me to get hours in and be creative and step out of my comfort zone, be in front of a camera and not be scared to take on new opportunities. Because if you would have reached out to me back in January of last year, I probably would have been like, nah, Uh, (laughs) but you know I can talk a lot and I like to talk to people who I can feel are real and authentic but when it comes to when it comes to a lot of people reaching out at once and me taking on all those things I I used to draw back and say no I don't want to do that let me stay in my box I don't but those opportunities that used to feel unnatural scary all of these things that I associated with my condition as a child even though they weren't directly connected to it I know Mm -hmm. for a fact that's why I picked up that trait so now after doing the YouTube channel explaining my condition making more content being in front of a camera taking all these different opportunities I even did a video with Nancy I know I I, I was watching y'all on um on um instagram live when she reached out to me i was like 
Oh, man, she knows. <laughs> she knows so much. And then I thought to myself, right. well, why wouldn't you take the opportunity then? If she if she knows so much, why would you not pick her brain and learn from her? And people are so afraid to learn and to show them that they don't know certain things that they miss that opportunity to become comfortable in the uncomfortable yeah. and learning more things. So and that's, that's how I started the YouTube. So now it's focused on lifestyle, OT school, and fitness. I've been doing a few lifestyle videos uh, with my fiance, and we've been doing some vlogging and talking about some things. And then I've done probably like four or five OT videos so far for the TED Talks for OT series. And as far as fitness, I want it to be very, very authentic and me. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to find other content creators in Memphis to kind of collaborate with. So that way we can record each other and people can yeah. actually see my personality in the gym. Because <laughs> in the gym is where I truly become like myself. Yeah. Oh, so you got a lot of things going on for yourself. You busy, busy. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Like, why you didn't respond to that text? I was like, man, I, I probably was doing 10 <laughs> things at once at that time. <laughs> so. No, that's awesome, though. When I say busy, I, I like the word productive. You're a very productive person, and you always are doing something to give back to people through the mentorship, which I think is amazing. Um, guys, if you guys need mentorship or in your OT school, life whatever or you might be thinking about ot school ted is your guy right here he's living the life right now as an ot student which i think is fantastic and um doing it for no charge because you feel that you can learn from them and you can give them your experience as a way to you know better their experience which i think is fantastic and also the being comfortable with the uncomfortable that is so key. Like we, like you can't be comfortable all the time. You know, I feel that we have to take risks. We have to just be comfortable with things changing constantly. I mean, just think about 2020. I'm sure we had all these plans of what to do, and then things just changed right away. And we have to be adaptable and flexible with whatever life brought. Honestly, which was crazy. But as OTs, we have to be adaptable and flexible and modify everything in order for things to somewhat still be normal. <laughs> so um, exactly. I just thank you. Yes. Thank you for like giving all of those gems. That was just amazing. No problem at all. I like, I like doing, you know, this is the first podcast that I've actually done, but I like just awesome. talking about my personal experience and the, particularly the mental side of it, because there was a point where I said I wanted to be an OT, but you know, when you say you want to do something, you don't really know if you're going to get into OT school. Right. So, I mean, I got into four schools the first year, but nice. I had to listen to a, a whole lot of positive podcasts and I had to really switch the way that I was thinking in my brain 
And once mm-hmm. everything started turning and you attach meaning to things that you want to do, yeah. it doesn't matter who you think will tell you that you can't do something. All that it matters is that you know that this is what you're, you, you, you want to do and this is what you're going to do. There was a point in this podcast where you were um, talking about being your authentic self. And I stand by that because the law of attraction comes with the law of detachment. And when Mm. you realize that when you don't become your full self, you might stay connected to things that you think are cool, but you're not able to bloom like you should. Yeah. So when when you come out and you become like truly who you are, you're gonna attract more people who are like you Although you're going to lose those people that you thought supported you, if they if they fall off, that that's what they were supposed to do anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what they're supposed to do anyway. About now, I can connect with you who trains and you're an OT, and now I've met someone else who is interested in and is doing the same thing that I want to do. So now yeah. I can draw value from you and vice versa. And I no longer have to try to hold on to those people because they're living another lifestyle that doesn't coincide with what I want to do. So, yeah, for everyone who's listening, don't be scared to be your true authentic self and know that if you want to do something, just because one person tells you no, I mean, I don't want to bring religion into it, but God Mm -hmm. or whatever you believe in or yourself, that doesn't mean that any of those things are telling you no. That just means that that one person doesn't believe in your vision. So yep. what you do at that point, you don't you don't stop and turn around on the journey that you're going on. You find another road and you meet mm-hmm. other people who believe in you, see the value that you bring to the table. And if they don't see it, you take another turn on another road. <laughs> and I guarantee you someone's going to say, I'm going to put my money on him. And they're going to get you to the level that you need to. So no one can actually ever tell you no on what you want to do in life. They just might not take that walk with you. So That's so deep. And as you said, I'm I'm a religious person. So I feel that every opportunity that, whether it's good or bad, is is a purpose. It's a purpose for everything. And I feel that God brings people into your life for a certain purpose, whether it's good or bad, you know, there's a season for friendships, there's a season for relationships. And I also feel that God allows us to fail or to struggle so we can depend on him. You know, like, I feel like I wouldn't be where I am without my journey. I I feel that I had to really, really depend on God for this journey. If I did not, I would have been a nutcase um, because this, even though you're not taking this exam for a while now, but literally just studying and it just takes a toll on you. But my advice for that is just keep doing what you're doing. Stay grounded on everything that you have to make yourself your authentic self. Keep working out, keep having fitness in your life, you know, while you're studying, because that will make you so sane um, during those study times. So I wish I did that. Um, during the beginning um, when I was doing my first couple attempts, but when I took my exam, 
to the point when I did pass, I, I went to the gym. I didn't take that out of my routine and I felt so much better. I felt confident in myself, physically, mentally, everything. So it's a, it's a big deal to keep that, keep that part of your whole routine. And uh, this is this was a good talk. And <laughs> yes, uh, it was. <laughs> all of it is so funny and relatable because I I tell my little cousin. I mean, he's like my little brother because I don't have any siblings. So anytime I have a mm-hmm. talk, I always relate it back to him. I tell him all the time that man, the second you you stop praising God and <laughs> you mm. stop trying to hear that voice in your head, <laughs> <laughs> and just just know you there's a storm in the distance. So. I said, man, make sure you make sure you always staying close to God and thanking before you're asking. Yeah. Just realize that you you have to put in the work. I, people always say that they want something. They say, hey, God's gonna do it. I say, man, okay, okay. But you, what do you do you though? Do, <laughs> exactly, exactly. God blesses other people through other people. So yes. if you're not being a blessing to somebody else, how is he going to bless you? Because the person that he's trying to send to bless you is waiting on you to bless somebody else. And they can't bless you until you mm. bless somebody else. So, hey, Ooh. tell people about being selfish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. This was such a great conversation, yo. Like, thank you, Ted, for everything that you have blessed this episode on like you talk about every we talk about everything from ot to fitness to occupational justice to just even just praising god at everything on like the purpose that he has set for us and the journey that you're you're going through right now in ot school so thank you thank you thank you for your time um last thing oh of course um Last thing I just want you to drop is your your social media handles, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff. Drop it now so people can follow you, all right? So you can find me on most social media, well, pretty much any social media, Instagram, Clubhouse, Twitter, YouTube, even TikTok. All of it is, <laughs> all of it is tap in with Ted. Um, T-A-P-I-N-W-I-T-H-T-E-D. Tap in with Ted. Um, I actually did a search on YouTube earlier just to make sure <laughs> that you didn't have to put the spaces, but whether you put the spaces or not, I'm, I'm still going to pop up. So tap in with Ted on everything. All right, perfect. See, that makes it so much easier to find you. But the same word, everywhere. <laughs> I had to make it uni- uh, universal across the board. Because at first I was going to go with TED Talk for OT, but I was like, no, nah, that's a little too specific. So mm-hmm. I went with Tap In with TED. And thankfully, TED Talk, the, well, TEDx, the actual, you know, speaking platform. Thankfully, yeah. they don't overcrowd me on these platforms. Like when people type in Tap In with TED, I pop up though. All right, perfect. So y'all, you know where to find him. Thank you, thank you again, Ted, for everything. Guys, this was the episode on just some Black male perspective in OT and just talking about just life in general. This was fantastic. I know this is a little bit longer than 
the usual episodes, but trust and believe you me, if you finish this episode, I'm sure you've been encouraged, um, motivated, and inspired. So that's all we got for this one. This is your girl, Amber, reaching your potential. I'll talk to you guys later. Peace out.